You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. We've been preaching from Jonah in a sermon series the past several weeks, and uh, I'm wrapping us up with Jonah chapter 4. However, I feel the need to start at Jonah 3.10 because chapter 4 starts with a but. Um, So it would make more sense if we read that verse as well. So here we go. This is on page 775 if you have one of those uh, Advent leather-bound Bibles. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry, and he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head and save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh? that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. The book of Jonah as a whole, you know, in just four chapters, a great short story is a glimpse into the heart of God. It's a little vignette, you know, a short story into the heart of God that we see spanning the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Uh, And to describe that, that's very clear to us in places in the New Testament. For example, John um, chapter 3, verse 16, that famous verse that so many of us know well, which unfortunately, because of the the, you know, often the way it's used with the signs at the football games, it just well, people don't know the content. When they hear that, sometimes actually it, it, it comes across ironically as judgment. Um, but in John chapter 3, verse 16, we see that heart of God 
of, of God's love that is displayed in a book like Jonah. I'm going to kind of flip around the Bible a little bit today. So if you don't have your Bible handy, uh, it might be good to find it. Pull it off the shelf or, or look on your, um, on your cell phone. And so John 3.16 in those same uh, leather-bound Bibles is page 888. And it goes like this. For God... This is Jesus uh, talking to Nicodemus, remember. He says to him, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Why did God save us? Because he loves us. What a great um, short version of the gospel John 3.16 is. There's another similar verse to John 3.16 that I've come to really like lately because it's I like the content, but it's also really easy to remember the verse because all you have to remember is one, two, three, four. It's 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. It basically says the same thing as John 3.16. This is on page 991. Um, Paul, writing to Timothy, says, This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. God, our Savior, is described as one who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth, to be saved from their sin and also from the lies of Satan, as this is describing. Um, And this isn't, you know, when you hear something like John 3.16 and 1 Timothy 2, 3, and 4... You might think that this is like I'm espousing some sort of what people call universalism, um, that basically all people, all every single individual will be saved, and all we need to do is tell people about it. That's not what we're saying, actually, is if you keep reading on in John, flipping back uh, chapter 3, and look at verse 18, just a couple verses later, Uh, Jesus explains, whoever believes in him, that's the Son of God, he's talking about himself, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only uh, Son of God. And so this isn't to say that all individuals will be saved, but the idea that John 3.16 is getting across, the book of Jonah is getting across, um, what... Paul is getting across in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 2, verses uh, 3 and 4, is that in the end, in the end of time, every nation will have salvation. Uh, people from, and I'm not talking about geopolitics here, like the United States or Germany or France or Chad or China. Uh, If you look at a country like India, there are a lot of different nations within it, Uh, even here in the United States. You know, I'm from California. I've never felt like an insider in Alabama. You are a different nation than me, you know, and and I'm a different nation than you. That's what Jesus is talking about when he's uh, describing the salvation of the world, that uh, people from all races will, uh, and languages and tribes will come Uh, and worship the Lord in the end. And we see this in the end in Revelation uh, chapters 5 and 7. Conveniently, both verses 9 and 5 and 7 talk about this, 
Uh, 5.9, worthy are you to take the scroll uh, and to open its seal, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And then 7.9, after this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, etc. Uh, people from all different groups of people, from all races, um, all classes, um, Auburn and Alabama, you know, USC and Clemson, um, Cal, Berkeley, and Stanford, uh, whatever your thing is. You know, actually in California, it's more professional sports. Um, the, the San Francisco Giants and Oakland A's, you know, whatever you go for, all people, um, you know, there are going to be Auburn fans around the throne. There are going to be Alabama fans around the throne. Or there will be Democrats and Republicans and, and Libertarians. Whatever, you know, whatever um, class of people uh, perhaps that you think, um, you know, um, it's a bit inconvenient to be spending eternity together with them. There will be people there um, from those groups. That's the heart of God. And Jesus demonstrates this. So I'm talking about sort of propositions here uh, from the Bible, but Jesus demonstrates this in his life and ministry with his encounters with people like the Samaritan woman. That was a different nation than the Jews. There were similarities, but they were definitely, they were, and they were at odds with each other. Um, his encounter with the Gerasene demoniac, going across the Sea of Galilee to the pagan Gentiles, uh, and rescuing that man from bondage in those villages, the Syrophoenician woman, and the Roman centurion, I can go on. Many encounters like this, not just with the Jews, even though he said, you know, I came uh, to seek the, the lost sheep of the uh, nation of Israel, he also has all these encounters with uh, people from the nations. And even the stories that he tells about the Good Samaritan or the Great Banquet Feast. And this isn't just a New Testament thing. This has been there from the beginning, as I said, from Genesis to Revelation. In Genesis chapter 12, verses 2 and 3, when God um, calls Abram and changes his name to Abraham, and this is before Israel exists, before the great nation of Israel he says this, the call for Abraham and all his descendants was always this, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and uh, him who dishonors you I will curse, and uh, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That was always the mission of Israel, and they repeatedly failed, but not always, but often, and so does the church for that matter. You know, the church exists to be blessed, to be uh, a nation of holy priests for all the world in the same way that uh, Israel was supposed to be. So we see this spanning uh, throughout the Old Testament too in stories like saving Rahab and Jericho, the, the, the Moabite uh, Ruth, who had become a great-great-great-grandmother of Jesus Christ himself, the healing of Naaman, the uh, the Syrian leper, and uh, Darius eventually pronouncing Daniel's God the true God because he sees uh, the true God rescue Daniel from the lion's den. And then Jonah, 
Jonah is just one more example and a great funny often example of God's heart that's been there all along uh, throughout the whole story, like a, a, a through line throughout the whole Bible of God's heart for all people, desiring to see all people saved. And this book is not ultimately about Jonah. You're easily distracted by Jonah. But this book is about God and God's love for the nations. He's the protagonist, actually. God's the protagonist in the book of Jonah. Jonah should be called, you know, the book of Jonah should be... The, the book about, it's, a, it's one more book about God, is what it is, uh, this story. And, and we see that uh, today in our passage, and it was there at the beginning of chapter 1 in the calling, he says to Jonah, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has uh, come up before me. And he's, what he wants Jonah to do is go to these Gentiles, Assyrians. Nineveh was in Assyria, which was at war with Israel at the time, uh, to go to this large city and um, pronounce judgment so that they might repent. And ultimately, as we saw in chapter 3 and what's alluded to today in chapter 4, is that uh, they did uh, repent. I mean, Jonah being asked to go to Nineveh in Assyria is the equivalent of us being asked to go uh, to some place, some territory that's run by the the Taliban or Al-Qaeda or ISIS. Actually, do you know where Nineveh is, the city of Nineveh? I mean, it no longer actually exists. It's ruins, but it's it's exactly right where Mosul, I I don't even know how you pronounce it, M-O-S-U-L, Iraq. Mosul? Iraq is. I mean, this was in the news because it was a stronghold for ISIS. <laughs> it's, the same, it's the same thing. Just for me to say, you know what you ought to do is go to Nineveh. I mean, it would be the same thing. To go and proclaim this message of repentance to Iraqis, to uh, Muslim people in Iraq, perhaps even uh, ISIS people, to call them to repentance because God loves them and wants to see them pronounce the, the name of Jesus Christ as Lord. That's basically what God was asking Jonah to do, would be the equivalent of me asking you to do that. And so the, in chapter 4, we see that all the book of Jonah can be hung on the main punchline that comes at the very end in verse 11. Uh, this isn't about Jonah's anger. It's not about the plant. Uh, it's not about the worm, which is funny. In other translations, I think it's the King James Version, it says, God, one of my favorite verses, God ordained a worm. <laughs> God ordained a worm to eat the plant. It's not about that. Uh, I mean, Jonah is basically just a foil to God, and we see God's love in verse 11. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left. And in the same way that Jesus on the cross and Stephen when he's stoned, following his model, says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Forgive them. Show them your love uh, and give them knowledge of the truth. So Jonah is actually representative of, of all of us. The people of God who have a needed work of of healing inside of our hearts. 
to come to terms with the hard truth that God wants to save a lot of people, which includes people that we find hard to love. And so question that I have for you today is who are your Ninevites? Who are your Ninevites? Who might it be? I mean, chances are it's not actually ISIS, you know? I mean, that's so far removed. But someone much closer to home, maybe even in your own uh, family. Um, You know, I've been really humbled lately in thinking about, this sounds kind of cliche, so forgive me, but this is real. This is real. Uh, Humbled by my disposition and attitude toward homeless people here in Birmingham that I have, you know, just based on where I live and um, where I work, I have a lot of encounters with people that you might call homeless. And, you know, as a matter of fact, a lot of them aren't homeless. They have places where they live. But, you know, people who are on the street, um, often asking for help. And I realized, you know, the thing, the struggle that I had, um, and I think this came about a year or two ago, when I heard God tell me, to love them and talk to them about me. But the struggle that I often have with folks like downtown, for example, with a a homeless person is what I realize is it's usually terribly inconvenient, you know, when they want to talk to me because I'm always in between something, you know. I'm here at the Advent going out to lunch with someone or I've been at lunch with someone. I got to come back to a meeting at the Advent and I'm already in a hurry and somebody's, you know, asking me for something um, and I find it annoying. Um, but that's my problem. You know, what, what, what would really be so bad about me arriving late to give this person the time of day? I recently had an encounter at a gas station where a guy like this came up to me and asked if I could help him uh, for, for dinner to buy some food. And I was pumping gas, and my children are in the car, and I just come back from the grocery store, and my food's in the trunk, and I'm thinking about, you know, October in, uh, in Birmingham, it's 100 degrees, and uh, my food's going to melt, you know, in the trunk, and this guy, and I'm almost done punching, p- pumping the gas, and so again, it's inconvenient, right? I, and, you know, when you pump gas, you can't leave the car on, so of course the air conditioning's not on, my kids are in there, you know, all these things in my mind, and this guy's coming up to me, um, and uh, he's asking me for help, and I said, this is true, I don't carry cash, but I pray for you, and I prayed for him, and, and sort of left it at that. And his name was Haran. Um, and um, I thought later I could have helped him because I actually had food in the trunk. I wasn't thinking about that. But this is the type of encounter that I need to grow in. And I wonder what, what it is for you. Does God love Haran? You know, does he love him more than my schedule um, and the food that's perhaps melting in my trunk? Or the fact that my children are in this hot car and they I mean, they could open the door. Um, that I need to slow down and maybe have less in my life in order to serve people like him and not only serve him, but hopefully have an opportunity to maybe even invite someone like that into my life and to talk to him about God's love uh, in the blood of Jesus Christ. On the way here, I think this was uh, pr- providential. Um, I was driving up, and there were uh, sirens, fire engine, police cars, or whatever. Uh, there was a homeless man uh, on the street. He had been sleeping. I mean, right now, it's, 
you know, 9.30 or so when we're recording this, I'm pulling up, covered in a sheet, uh, and police and fire department and all that are pulling up. I'm pretty sure he died. I'm pretty sure that what I saw was probably a dead body. And I'm just convicted by the same message that I'm coming to preach to you about is, has anyone talked to that man about God's love uh, before that death? Right here in the, the quote-unquote Bible Belt. I don't know. Have I? Have I encountered that person before? Probably. I mean, there are not too many of them uh, down here. And so, really, just for you, what is it? Who, who is it that God, like Jonah, is calling you to go to? Um, the, the Ninevites, and not to Tarshish. And it, 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 it is probably someone uh, in your immediate vicinity. And one final thought, too, is that if you think that you are completely unlovable, that God could never love you because of the things that you've done or are doing, look at this story about the Ninevites that God rescued 120,000 people of the enemies of, of God's people at war with Israel. And if he can do that, um, he can love you and rescue you. And because he's done that for you, don't keep it to yourself, but share that with other people. That's been God's design from the beginning. Blessed to be a blessing. All peoples will be around the throne of God in eternity. And I have to learn uh, to thank God for that and look forward to that day. And he's going to use people like us to share that message with all the world. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are a God of uh, a love that is, that just doesn't make sense to us. So much so that you sent your son to die for us, and not only us, but even those that we find completely impossible to love. And so would you supernaturally be at work in our hearts um, to cleanse us, to have the heart of love that you have, um, with the knowledge of uh, the uh, eternity that we will spend together with all these peoples from all different cultures, languages, and nations. I uh, long for that day. We long for that day. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.